Hello, my name is Lara Campbell. I'm an abolitionist vegan from British Columbia, Canada. You can find me on Facebook and you're listening to Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. Vegetarian. Vegan. Yeah, well. Let's get it right. You used the word animals, but I suppose what you should have said is non-human animals. Hello and welcome to another top quality episode of Coexisting with Non-Human Animals, episode 76, I on Invsoc. Let's get started with our usual entree of local news stories. Local, that is, if you live in Invercargill, New Zealand. On building a monorail through a national park to make tourism easier, involving the cutting down of native trees. Quote, People are incredibly satisfied with the whole trip to Milford Sound. It's the most beautiful road you can imagine. The nasty parts are being stuck in a metal can. A bus. A monorail is another metal can. Lodge customers and visitors to the valley come for peace and quiet, away from the stress, she said. The peace is what strikes everyone when they come. It's not just about us. All the hunters who go through, every single one says that they would never go up to the valley again if the monorail was there. The Lodge would certainly put in a submission against the monorail, she said. We need to speak out, and let people know about it. It's not for me to persuade the whole world I'm right. I have an opinion, but it's for the people to be aware of this land. So, the hunters who go out with their bang-bang guns and everything, they are worried about the gentle swish of a quiet monorail going past and making a little bit of noise? These people who fire guns off all over the bush... They are worried about disturbing the peace as they run about, killing other animals for fun, with their firearms. Intent to kill, premeditated murder, bang 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 bang. These people are worried about the monorail making a bit of noise. Why, if all it takes to stop people killing other animals is a monorail, we just need to build monorails all over the place. Where's Lyle Lanley when you need him? Now hold on just one minute! Sure! We could fix up Main Street. We could put all our eggs in one basket. Shut up! I wasn't done yet. I'm just saying we could blow all our money on a stupid little street, but... I ain't furred, I'm again it. Main Street! Main Street! Main Street! All those in favor of Grandpa Simpson's plan for rebuilding Main Street, please... You know, a town with money's a little like the mule with a spinning wheel. No one knows how he got it, and danged if he knows how to use it. (laughs) (laughs) Mule. The name's Lanley, Lyle Lanley. And I come before you good people tonight with an idea. Probably the greatest... Oh, it's not for you. It's more of a Shelbyville idea. Now, wait just a minute. We're twice as smart as the people of Shelbyville. Just tell us your idea and we'll vote for it. All right. I tell you what I'll do. I'll show you my idea. I give you the Springfield monorail. (gasps) I've sold monorails to Brockway, Ogdenville, and North Haverbrook. And by gum, it put them on the map. 
Well, sir, there's nothing on earth like a genuine, bona fide, electrified six-car monorail. what I say? Monorail. What's it called? Monorail. That's right, monorail. 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 I hear those things are awfully loud. It glides as softly as a cloud. Is there a chance the track could bend? Not on your life, my Hindu friend. What about us brain-dead slobs? You'll be given cushy jobs. Were you sent here by the devil? No good, sir. I'm on the level. The ring came off my pudding can. Take my penknife, my good man. I swear it's Springfield's only choice. Throw up your hands and raise your voice. Monterey. What's it called? Monterey. Once again. Monterey. But Main Street's still all cracked and broken. Sorry, Mom. The mob has spoken. Monterey. Mano, don't! Thank you for coming, Mr. Lanley. I'm Miss Hoover. Miss Hoover? That is hard to believe. Oh, you. <laughs> now I'm here to answer any questions you children may have about the monorail. Me! 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 Can it outrun the Flash? You bet. Can Superman outrun the Flash? Uh, sure, why not? Hello, little girl. Wondering if your dolly can ride the monorail for free? Hardly. I'd like you to explain why we should build a mass transit system in a small town with a centralized population. <laughs> Young lady, that's the most intelligent question I've ever been asked. Really? Oh, I could give you an answer, but the only ones who'd understand it would be you and me. And that includes your teacher. <laughs> Next question. You there, eating the paste. Now... After those other poor animal hunters were upset by the gentle-as-a-cloud monorail noise through the bush, the soft swishing which would put them off firing their guns all over the place, shooting bits of lead and steel through every moving animal they could find, I would never mock another hunting party, such as this one, where a pea farmer found his crop being devastated by wild pigeons. I mean... There's no reasonable precautions that could be taken in such circumstances. It's not like he could be like the fruit orchards, which have bird-proof netting all over the fruit. Simple. One-off purchasing of nets to put over the rows of peas, but no, the only reasonable choice is to go to your local pub and round up a bunch of yahoos to shoot their guns off at the birds. Yep. Quote, a mob of hungry pigeons have eaten their way through eight tons of a farmer's pea crop, reducing his harvest yield in central Southland. Arable farmer Robert Clark ripens peas at Drummond to sell his seed. He harvested 28 tons on Monday, but it could have been 36 tons, because a mob of pigeons ate eight tons, he said. Now the peas were harvested, the pigeons had started eating the green leaves of his young swedes, he said. I had a bird scarer, but after a couple of days, they got used to it. Farmer Jeff Miller leased the 10 hectares of pea paddock to Mr. Clark. Ten years ago, there was a flock of 100 pigeons. Now, it was a flock of 1,000, Mr. Miller said. The pigeons were also eating his neighbor's grain. It's a widespread problem, he said. The sky is black with them. Mr. Clark said Environment Southland told him to poison the birds, and they could source him a product at at a cost. At a cost? At cost. I think it means. At a cost. Environment Southland Senior Biosecurity Officer Dave Burgess said the product was a narcotic, not a poison. It puts them into a coma. It stupefies them and they fall asleep.
This narcotic protected other bird life because the farmer goes into the sleeping flock and wrings the pigeons' necks, he said. The weekend before the harvest, Mr. Clark allowed a posse to shoot the pigeons. Electrician Paddy Tallam heard about the hunt at the Northern Tavern in Invercargill. He was part of a 15-strong posse that shot 70 pigeons the Sunday before harvest. He said he used a water tank for cover, while another hunter sat in the middle of the pea paddock in a swivel chair. It was really windy, so the pigeons could manoeuvre easily, he said. So you just shut your eyes and go for it. <sighs> I'll st step in. Right. So, a bunch of people with guns recruited at a pub, a bar, a tavern where my father used to go each Thursday night, the Northern, they rustle up a bunch of people to go out with their little guns and play hide-and-seek behind water tanks or sitting in a chair that can swing around every direction so the brave hunter shooting little birds doesn't have to actually turn their bodies that much. And because it was windy a bit, the goal was just to close your eyes and fire away. Bang, 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 bang. Perhaps while hiding behind the all-important water tank. Living away from the town water supply... Blindly firing away behind the water tank is probably a really smart idea. Or spinning round in your chair, shooting every which way with your eyes tightly closed. There's no earthly way of knowing <laughs> He's singing. which direction we are going. There's no knowing where we're rowing or which way the river's flowing. Is it raining? Is a hurricane a-blowing? <laughs> Not a speck of light is showing, so the danger must be growing. Are the fires of hell a-glowing? Is the grizzly reaper mowing? Yes! The danger must be growing, for the rowers keep on rowing, and they're certainly not showing any signs that they are Spinning round and round in your chair, firing at where the birds could be, with your eyes closed, while all your fellow friends from the pub are doing the same? Sounds like the gene selection pool is winnowing down, such as when you help out our friend the reaper with the pea field mowing, mowing through your friends with guns, rowing straight down the river Styx, the river in hell. Back to the story, quote, all the unlucky birds were breasted and were barbecued for lunch. Each pigeon came with its own side dish, he said. There was about half a cup of peas in each. Here's a fun story. Peter campaigned to end the property status of killer whales. Great name, by the way. Ah, yes, our group would like to help killer whales. And in a country where the government kills murderers too. We want to help killer whales. We want to give them rights. <laughs> I saw a couple of interesting comments on a three news article covering Peter's appeal being turned down, that orca would remain items of property in sea parks. By someone calling themselves Erm. Oh Peter, you are yet another radical organisation that does your cause more harm than good. You might well have a point, but you lose your support by the ways you go about things.
actually, as far as Peter things go, this was pretty non-controversial. No one was screaming and shouting, no fake blood or nudity, nothing sex-related. They just wanted killer whales to be treated with love and respect, for those killer whales to be given rights. The old line, you might have a point, but you do your cause more harm than good, is something I've seen many a time from farmers or people who are utterly uninterested in veganism. They might say something similar to my comments online. Basically, any polite asking for veganism is an all-out attack, and that we should just sit quietly, never say a peep, never wear a t-shirt with the word vegan on it, nothing to draw attention, and maybe people will just decide to go vegan around us. It's something that's said when our points can't be counted. You do your cause more harm than good. Really? How so? In what way? To many of the farmers I've spoken with online, even just the idea of mentioning veganism is an attack on farming, as though we were storming the building with flaming torches and pitchforks, baying for farmers' blood. I liked this other comment too. Presumably this is a New Zealander for some reason bringing up that socialist Obama and the American Constitution. Go figure the real motives were their name. Mammals today, fish tomorrow, beef and chicken the next day, and broccoli and cauliflower the next. Obama and NDAA has destroyed the constitution for humans. Why would animals be any different? Laugh out loud. Here's my reply, which was published on the page, which went unanswered by Mr. or Miss Go Figure the Real Motives. A question for the other commenters, Go Figure the Real Motives. Well, what is your imagined conspiracy behind the story? That once other animals are recognised as their own independent sentient beings, somehow it's all over for humanity? I'm vegan. I support not harming or killing other animals. I would not have proposed such a law change, as the American Professor of Law Gary Francione would mention. The case is best presented person to person, talking with other people about how we see other animals, not going for some huge, large-scale law changes. You mentioned mammals today and then later beef, meaning the killed flesh of a cow, female, or bull, male. They too are mammals, as are we. We are, of course, all animals after all. We are Imbsoc and We Are Weaned are good examples of this. And then there's a link to the We Are Imbsoc page where you get to see a lot of uh, Invercargill Vegan Society members with our badges and the We Are Weaned site, which is, I think it's German, and it's got half a million vegans all around the world. It's a great thing. So I signed off Jordan Wyatt, Invercargill Vegan Society, all animals are equal, blah, 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 and our website address. And finally, one last story for this episode. Newspaper coverage of veganism. As I speak, I'm holding in my hands a newspaper. An actual newspaper. One of those things we'll be telling our children about. And right there on the front cover is mention of an inside story about veganism. Red letters on a yellow background with a photo of corn chips and two vegans serving food. Vegans eating without the animals on page 19. It's amazing. I'll cherish this thing forever. A real, actual mainstream newspaper where people had to pay for these things to be delivered to their mailbox by a kid on a bike. What's that? Mailboxes? Well, people used to walk about and stuff pamphlets in this thing called junk mail and letterboxes. Everyone had a letterbox outside their house. It's kind of like the spam folder in your Gmail account. 
So, these newspaper things were delivered to your mailbox, and you had to wake up early in the morning, shuffle out of bed, grab your slippers, and walk outside to the mailbox at the end of your drive. Then you'd go back inside and unfold this huge paper thing onto your table, eating breakfast while you turned the colossal pages. No, son, we didn't just reach over to the nightstand for our iPad 10 and conveniently read the free news sent over the internet. We had to walk out and get this dead tree thing from the mailbox. The Otago Daily Times covered veganism, and on the front page it was mentioned too. The story focuses on a vegan family who sell vegan food at a local farmer's market. They call their business the Joyful Vegan. It sounds really impressive. I've had friends who've eaten there before. It sure sounds like something the Invercargill Vegan Society have to rip off and sell vegan food for cost at our local farmer's market. An opportunity to promote veganism. Maybe we could even try and undercut the prices of all the other food stalls. Sure, we'd lose money on every sale, but we'd make up for it in volume. Genius! I wrote another of my typical whiny comments on a recent Southern Times newspaper article online about an A&P show where farmers have all kinds of little events showing off the prettiest pony and children drag small farm animals around a stage. Ice cream and hot chips are sold. Sort of like a carnival, but, you know, without the cool rides and with more bales of hay. Here's the artful depiction in the newspaper. Thankfully... The merry-go-round horses were well-behaved at the Winton A&P show on Saturday. The real animals are more of a problem in the sweltering heat. This is a disaster, a teenage girl declared as melted ice cream ran across her cone-clenched fingers. Meanwhile, a little girl struggled to handle her stubborn Frisian calf. As they jostled, the adult yearling heifer show stalled, with a stroppy galloway needing to be taken to the naughty corner. There's always the Tyree show, the disappointed owner said. The heifer's tantrum turned the cage to beef, and, sc and dull steel lashed with brightly coloured ribbon into a monotone moan, the beastly choir bellowing hot air skyward in a living, breathing pipe organ. Horses pranced with braided manes in the heat of the race course, though the miniature horses wore their manes down. The traction engines, both big and small, smoked away. Smiling children slid down inflated sinking ships. Large serves of caffeine were sold from car boots, and red sauce zigzagged hot chips. I should mention about that, um, children, <laughs> smiling children slid down inflated sinking ships. So we have this giant inflatable slide thing, it's like the Titanic, and so the kids climb up, sort of built an inflatable ladder up one side of it, then they slide down the deck of the Titanic. It's, it's kind of cool looking. So yeah, it's a big giant inflatable half-sunken Titanic that sticks out of the ground, and it's, it's kept all inflated with air from a compressor. When the shearers' kneecaps released the last shorn lamb, the crowd began to clap, and the sun beat relentlessly down. That sounds like a description of the seventh layer of hell to me. Burning hot sun, melting non-vegan ice creams, coffee and hot chips with tomato sauce being a highlight, animals upset by the weather, quote, this is a disaster, a little girl struggled to handle her stubborn Frisian calf, another stroppy, angry, protesting, ill-tempered, animal, a described animal tantrum, a beastly choir, smoking old traction engines, basically crazy-ass old tractors, 
No doubt hairy-backed men holding sheep between their legs as they violently cut their hair, their wool off as quickly as possible, before letting them get back up off the ground and thrown away for the next barbershop victim. It sounds like hell. I wrote a short, polite comment, saying it sounded awful for the other animals who were forced into somewhat performing, and who were described as spoil sports for not wanting to leap at the chance to participate. Stroppy, stubborn, taken to the naughty corner, tantrum, a monotone moan, caged beef. I had a short comment basically saying, why do we do this to other animals? Go vegan. And with the Invercargill Vegan Society's contact details. Well, a couple days later, I was emailed back on our info at invsoc.org.nz address from a local Southland Times reporter, basically wanting to do a story about veganism in the newspaper, about people who disagree with all these Southland summertime events that involve animals and rodeos, judging competitions for farm animals, all that kind of stuff. I would just read the email I got from Francis the reporter here, but it had a rather scary and totally original giant warning at the bottom about how the contents of the email were copyright and not to be shared or even discussed on your podcast for fear of being sued by a giant Australian-owned media conglomerate. Of course, I immediately accepted the story offer to have a story about veganism in a local free community newspaper and asked among local Invercargill Vegan Society members, you know, the Inversoc members who live in Invercargill, go figure, who would like to be present for the interview. The more vegans, the merrier. In the end, it was my friend Natalie and myself. We spoke with Francis the reporter for about an hour, and then, before she left, we posed for a photo with our chicken friends. The photo of Natalie and myself kneeling down in my backyard garden with hen friends all around is quite nice. Natalie is holding gentle bantam black chick, and I decided to try holding a much larger rescued hen if she would put up with it. One of the larger two rescued hens was obliging, the largest hen who I nicknamed Geiger, after she came here broody, clucking away softly to herself, clucking loudly the closer you got to her, before she would freak out, clucking very loudly and running away from the danger, or at least the danger she saw it. I like the idea that she was monitoring background radiation levels or something, and to be so big, she is huge compared to yellow hen and black chick, bantam chickens, so surely some kind of radiation was involved. Here's the full text of the story. It's not quite what I would say if I were writing the article, or it's not actually what I said at all. It was uh, transcribed down as we spoke, but here goes. All animals need to be treated equally, by Francis Wilkinson. Would you share a cat and throw it down a hole, or put your dog into a rodeo arena? Those are the questions Invercargill's Vegan Society members want people to think about before supporting or attending events where animals are forced to entertain a crowd. Group founder Jordan Wyatt said events including rodeos, A&P shows, shearing competitions and pet days expected animals to perform. Quote, we shouldn't have control over other species. All animals are equal, he said. Mr. Wyatt said people attended those events because of culture and tradition, but needed to realise that all animals should be treated the same, including domestic and farm animals. Would you shave a cat and throw it down a hole? He said the straps used on bulls to make them buck in rodeos caused irritation, and I think it would not be too strong to say pain. 
He didn't hate or resent people associated with the events, but got frustrated with people who defended the practices they used, Mr. Wyatt uh, apparently said. The group of ten members weren't hippies and had jobs ranging from filmmaking to truck driving, and they wouldn't protest or impose their views at animal events, he said. We wouldn't do that. It's about talking to people and putting a new idea out there, rather than invasions or law reform. The term vegan meant people avoided using animal products. There's always an alternative, he said. And there's a little bubble saying, Animal cruelty. Do you think it's cruel expecting animals to perform at events like rodeos and A&P shows for our entertainment? Is it right? Is it fair on the animals? Email the i at stl.co.nz. The i at Southern Times. And the caption below the photo of Natalie and myself in the garden with uh, one, two, three, four, five hens. Five hens, yes I can count. It says, Feathered Friends. Invercargill Vegan Society member Natalie Johnston and founder Jordan Wyatt with his, and this is in brackets here, Chicken Friends. <laughs> Would you shave a cat and throw it down a hole? Well, that's the title of my autobiography, but not something that I actually said. It was in relation to throwing sheep on wooden shearing shed floors while we cut their wool off as quickly as possible. I asked rhetorically, how would we feel if someone were to throw a Labrador down and do this to them, to do it to a dog, they're the same size as sheep and they're both made out of bones and muscle? I didn't mention anything about cats or holes, and I certainly didn't call this fictional cat an it. <laughs> I heard a preview of the article and asked for the it to be changed to them. But perhaps an editor helpfully corrected my animal rights aware correction after Francis made like Michael Jackson and make that change. There is more than a little of the article, which is not quite what I said. The reporter was taking down notes on a pad of paper in shorthand, so it's not exact. I was wondering how words like speciesism were being turned into magic reporter symbols as we spoke. But, on the whole, I'm glad the Invercargill Vegan Society got a story in the local community newspaper. Francis was even willing to be interviewed for coexisting with non-human animals, after interviewing us about veganism. And now, with my trademark interview opening, and joining me today... And joining me today is Francis, the wonderful reporter who came and interviewed us to get a vegan perspective on the on the newspaper's recent uh, articles and stories about the rodeo and, and other antics. Francis, how are you today? I'm good, thank you, Jordan. How are you? I'm wonderful on a lovely rainy day like this. I know, it's a bit windy out there, isn't it? <laughs> so, uh, you are going to meet a guy who clutters up the comments section of seemingly every South and Times article about animal agriculture, and when you went to interview <laughs> a couple of vegans, what were your expectations? I think my expectations were probably of a lot of people that aren't um, aware or understand um, probably even what the word vegan actually means. Um, and so, yeah, I'd probably, like a lot of other people, would think, oh, they may be hippies or they maybe don't have jobs or they maybe <laughs> just, I don't know, um, probably quite um, strong in their opinions and probably people who protest and um, eco-warriors. I don't know. It's, you know, I'm, After meeting you both, and um, you and Natalie, I mean, that opinion completely changed. Um, but yeah, it was it was very refreshing to actually realise that what I thought wasn't the case at all. So, <laughs> was it easy to write a story about maybe a different 
perspective to many of the other articles and reports you all have written? Um, I think being a journalist, you have to be able to um, write articles about anything and everything. And um, the week before I came to meet you guys, I'd done a preview to um, the Southland Rodeo um, where I'd gone to um, meet um, a guy who was actually um, had a, be- a very big part in the rodeo and, and he was one of the, ro- well, a cowboy, I guess. And so it was very interesting for me to actually hear one side of the story where they were sort of talking about how um, what they did wasn't cruel to the animals. But then next week to actually um, meet a group of people that, you know, showed me different perspectives. So, um, and it was it's nice to write things like that and, and show that there are different opinions because I think a lot of journalists as well these days, they maybe focus a lot on stories that they maybe want to do rather than actually going out there and writing things that they maybe, A, know nothing about and B, maybe don't agree with. So, so no, it was very good, really nice. Did anything we say in our, in our short interview, did it make you think about your own life or did it change any perspectives or uh, ideas you had about other animals? Definitely. Um, I'll never look at a neg in the same way again, that's for <laughs> sure. Um, I think I, I definitely, yeah, it, it's definitely changed what I think of. And, and I was actually going to go to the rodeo on the Sunday and I actually ended up not going. I mean, part of the reason was I didn't really want to go. Um, and I didn't really want to go full stop and it wasn't just because of my interview with you guys. Um, but yeah, it certainly made me a lot more aware of actually the things that we see as normal events like A&P shows, rodeos, even pet days. That actually there's maybe an underlying issue there that um, we need to be better educated about and understanding of animals and how um, us domestic animals, farm animals, it, there needs to be a change of the view that you know, they are actually all the same thing. You know, we're all the same species and, um, well, not the same species, but we're all animals and, you know, we all need to love them and, and you know, treat them the same as we do our pets and, and that kind of thing. So so I learnt a lot, definitely. <laughs> we made you a bribe for positive coverage. Uh, I mean, a cake. How did the bri- cake turn out? Um, well, it was it was a good bribe. No, it tasted um, it tasted very nice. I was actually very surprised because um, being a farmer's daughter, I've been brought up around cakes and biscuits and homemade stews um, all my life, and I definitely say that the chocolate cake was up there with the tart. It was actually very very nice, and I expected it to probably be dry and um, you know probably no moisture, but it was actually it was very very nice, and I shared it around with my colleagues when I got back to the office after the interview. And I told them a little bit about your group and, um, you know, that the um, product was made, you know, using no animal products. And um, I think they were pretty surprised. So I was trying to spread the message for you as well when I was sharing it out. <laughs> well, yes. However, could a cake turn out well without something that came from a hen's bottom, right? Or, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why when I say I'll never look at an egg in the same way again, <laughs> it's because of that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you very much for your time, Francis, and thank you for writing an article that included veganism, and you're most welcome to join us for a future Invercargill Vegan Society potluck dinner sometime soon. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you very much to Francis for interviewing Natalie and myself on behalf of the Invercargill Vegan Society. Thank you to Francis for allowing one of the interviewees to become the interrogator. I, uh, I mean interviewer. And by the way, about the egg thing, yeah, um, I think the way I put it was something like, uh, 
why would you want to eat something that comes out of a hen's bum? And I think I mentioned just <laughs> really briefly the female cycle. And I was kind of glad that Natalie was here, you know, a female. To yeah, They kind of discussed it like, oh my gosh, I guess it really is a, you know. And it was kind of like, oh, thank God I'm not a guy having to explain this. Because I would have done it, you know, much worse and much more embarrassedly than what Natalie was able to. So, yeah, that, that kind of stuck with Frances in her mind. You know, she's never going to look at an egg the same way again. I also managed to interview Natalie, another vegan living in Invercargill. I asked Natalie how she felt we went talking with reporter Frances about veganism, if we keep our main theme simple to understand, and if we were good representatives to veganism. And joining us today is my friend and Invercargill Vegan Society member, Natalie. Thank you for your time today, Natalie. How are you? Good, thank you, Jordan. Good to be on the iPhone. (laughs) (laughs) How long have you and Ricky been vegan for? Uh, How long? It hasn't been that long, actually. It's only been probably about just over a year, I think, now. We've been vegetarian for a couple of years and then um, made the shift to vegan. Um, after watching Earthlings, uh, yeah, awesome. so that was only about a year ago, so not too long. Well, I'm only recent as well, so we're all we're all getting there. Actually, um, Jordan, how long have you been vegan? Uh, interrupt. That's okay. I'm on an interview now. A couple of years now, so not much longer. I, yeah, yeah. So I'm only recent too, um, and I was I was vegetarian for a couple of years before that as well. So, what did you think when you heard a local newspaper wanted to talk with local vegans about our point of view on local events such as the radio? Um, I think actually it's nice to like have someone inquire about kind of the other side to that because um, I kind of every time I read the paper it's something, um, especially like the Southland paper, it's always something about hunting and kind of regulations of um, like, I don't know, new hunting laws and stuff like that and it's obviously <laughs> kind of not going into the veganist, vegan side, so um I mean, I've got a good rural newspaper that it's it's something that farmers buy apparently. It was used as like packing material and something my father bought at the shop that got sent to us. And it's something like the farmers have to pour the, the dairy, the calf's food, you know, the, the milk down the drain. And it's something about crying over spilt milk. And you can just imagine these sort of farmers just sort of bawling their eyes out about having to pump out, I think it's 6,000 litres of milk or something. Oh, like, something ridiculously <laughs> big. And it looks gross, just like this white yellowing looking stuff because it was going off because of the the power cuts or something so yeah but crying oh. over spilt milk so yeah yeah it, it is um i guess refreshing i guess if you kind of see something that's a bit different or something that's i guess kind of coming into more mainstream i hope anyway definitely well what were the main points you wanted to get across to francis the reporter when we were speaking with her uh i think probably for me was um speciesism and just um i guess I mean, I know she was kind of meaning to be focusing on radios, but it was actually quite good that it kind of turned into um, more veganism than radios. I thought that was neat. So I guess getting that point across to um, species, yeah. Do you think we were effective in explaining veganism to her? Yeah, I think we made um, quite a good impact, Um, especially um, I I thought actually the most successful part was about with the chicken eggs and how we got them. I guess it brought to light what they kind of really were when you kind of get people to think about 
um, yeah. I guess what it really is. How things work. Yeah, she she mentioned that to me afterwards in the in the interview I have with her. She mentions that she'll never look at the same way at an egg again. So um, that is yeah. that's I think that's really good, <laughs> especially for you know someone that eats meat and um, like lives on a dairy farm mm-hmm. and things like that. I mentioned some of the jobs Invercargill Vegan Society members have here and that I'm a woodworker and you're into filmmaking and video production, as is our mm-hmm. friend Steve, I mentioned Steve, that Russell oh, is a oh, truck Steve. driver and Dan is a nurse and others of us are students who work at local supermarkets and Catherine is an optometrist. I think we all, we made a pretty good impact on Francis that we're all hard-working citizens of Invercargill <laughs> and at the same time we, you know, promote respect for others and it's mentioned in the article that we've all went out there and quote, got a real job. Oh so, yeah, um... really that happy stereotype I don't think. Not yet anyway. <laughs> so it's great I to find... I hate them to get dreads but that's got you nothing have? to do with veganism so it's all good. <laughs> well you have to keep up the stereotypes, got to keep the traditions alive. Oh yeah. So it's it's great to find more and more vegans here in Invercargill and in New Zealand and the world all the time. And just today, Dan actually sent me a text message and she said that she's at the oh, hospital yeah. and that she is a patient at the hospital who went vegan in her later years for health reasons, she said. And uh, I asked Dan to pass on our details and if she'd like to get in touch with us, it would be great to meet another vegan here. Oh, that's so it's always awesome to find these things and to find out other vegans here. But now I come to the last and most important question of the interview, Natalie. Do you love your new iPhone 4S? Oh, best question, definitely. <laughs> um, well, uh, <laughs> yeah, of course, it's incredible. It like, actually doesn't leave my hand. <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not joking. It doesn't. I guess. Oh, shower is kind of the exception, but it doesn't leave my hand. Well, thank you very much for your time today and, and as well as that for coming over to be interviewed by Francis and now your time being interviewed by me on your iPhone. On my iPhone. Yes, thank you, Jordan. <laughs> cool. Here's to many more comments on local newspapers online stories. Who knows? Maybe the nail that sticks up for animal rights gets hammered down. Or maybe, just maybe... The squeaky vegan wheel gets the synthetic lubricant. You never know. But make sure to keep an Invercargill eye on Imsoc. Thank you for listening to Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. You can find the script for this episode, as well as downloads for every episode of Coexisting with Non-Human Animals at coexisting.co.nz. Nice and short. If you'd like to contact me, I'd really love to hear from you please send me an email to info at imbsoc.org.nz, especially if you're a reporter. Info at invsoc.org.nz I'm also on Facebook and Twitter, Jordan Wyatt, W-Y-A-T-T. Thank you for listening. Away from the notion of animals as things and toward the moral personhood of animals. The choice is ours. If you're not vegan, go vegan. It's easy, it's better for you, it's certainly better for the planet, and most importantly, it's the morally right thing to do. Mr. Lanley? Mr. Lanley? did you see? Uh.
nothing incriminating. Good. Well, bye. I don't know why I leave this lying around. I've sold monorails to Brockway, Ogdenville, and North Haverbrook. Is there a chance the track could bend? I call the big one Pikey. I've sold monorails to Brockway, Ogdenville, and North Haverbrook. Is there a chance the track could bend? I call the big one Pikey. Monorail, and there never was. Excuse me, miss. You asked about the monorail. Who are you? My name is Sebastian Cobb. Lanley hired me to build his monorail. He cut corners everywhere. Bad wiring, faulty brakes. As a celebrity on the maiden voyage was Gallagher. This is all that's left of one of the crappiest trains ever built. Mr. Cobb, what can we do? You just better have a damn good conductor. Oh, I like my keys in there. Get a rock. Anything they can't do. Dad, you're a hero. Yes, son. I'm the best mono thingy guy there ever was. Well, my work is done here. What do you mean your work is done? You didn't do anything. <laughs> didn't I? And that was the only folly the people of Springfield ever embarked upon. Except for the popsicle stick skyscraper. And the 50-foot magnifying glass. And that escalator to nowhere. Whoa! Whoa!